Hallelujah. Let's worship the Lord together. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe that those that have been filled with the Spirit of Christ should never struggle worshiping God. I could understand someone who doesn't have the Holy Ghost and is trying to do it in their flesh. But if you've got the Holy Ghost and you've been born of water and of spirit, it ought to be so natural that it just bubbles out of you a well of living water. I've heard people say before, I didn't get anything out of that service. What'd you put in it? Because you can't expect to get out if you don't put in. You've got to be able to contribute. we got too many spiritual freeloaders. They want to show up and let everybody else get it primed and get it going, and they just want to bask in the glory of what someone else produced. Amen. Well, let me get to my lesson today. Thank you for being here in the house of the Lord. Turn with me the book of Proverbs 22. Verse 28, we're going to continue. If you remember last week, I spoke on landmarks and talked about the oneness of God. Was that last week? It was one of these past few weeks. I've slept since then. There was a point when I started preaching, I thought, I'll always remember what I preach every service. That didn't last long. But I started, I preached on the oneness of God. This is what the Bible says, verse 28, Proverbs 22. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Amen. Joshua 4, 21 through 22. When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry Land. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. I want to continue. If you remember, I, I spoke to us about the Enukshuks, which uh, are stones built in the shape of a man that indicates in the region of North America between Alaska and Greenland that someone had passed this way before. There are landmarks throughout history, landmarks around the world that denote something. Um, the book of Joshua, what we read was the stones. When Israel came over, the Lord said, put those stones up because this is going to be a landmark. This is going to be uh, something that your children will ask, what does this mean? Why is this so significant? And you need to be able to answer that question. So I want to look at another landmark today. We Last week or last time I spoke was the oneness of God, but today I want to talk about the new birth. It's a landmark in the apostolic faith that we have got to understand the essentiality and the fullness of the new birth message. If we don't know it, how can we expect our children to know it? Bible says that we need to be ready always to give an account. It says, study to show thyself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
Study to show thyself approved unto God. I left that out because that's the part. We don't study to show ourselves approved unto man. We study to show ourselves approved unto God. That's not talking about preachers. That's talking about saints, servants of Christ, to know his word. How can you defend the word if you don't know the word? There's some scriptures right now. If I threw out, people would go, is that even in that book? Got to know the book. Got to know the word. Landmarks. Let's talk today about salvation. It has become politically incorrect to preach an absolute message. Okay, there are some things that are absolutes. An absolute means that there's no loopholes, there's no variance. It doesn't change. Let me give you an absolute. There will be nighttime. There will be daytime. Those are absolutes. The only way that will ever change is God changes it. Just like he stayed back the sun that one time. But that doesn't mean it happens all the time. It's an absolute. But in the day in which we live, Society is pushing moral relativism, which means that right is right in your eyes and wrong is wrong in your eyes. But your right may be different than my right, and your wrong may be different than my wrong. So let's govern ourselves according to what we view as right in our own eyes. If you want to see how that worked out for people, You just read in this Old Testament when the Bible says, talking about Israel, that they did right what was right in their own eyes. And they always strayed from God. They ended up in idolatry and rebellion, and God always had to deal with Israel because they governed themselves. They got away from what governed them, which is this book, and they started governing themselves according to what they thought was right. This is what the Bible says. Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the heart. Do you realize that you can justify everything that you do? You can justify every action. And in your mind, you will weigh it all out and justify why you did what you did and how you stand and all that kind of stuff. And some of it is absurd. So many people have double standards. I remember hearing, and this is a true story. I I don't know the man's name, but I know that it is true because it came from several reliable sources, and it was a big deal. There was a man that at one point in time had an affair in a hotel room with his mistress. And she tried to turn on the TV, and he said, no, I don't watch TV. True story. Show you how the mind can justify some things but not other things. One man said, "When I first thing I did when I get to hotel was put a blanket over that TV. But after a while, I got to come up from air because it gets so hot underneath that thing. But there is 
one absolute in regards to salvation. This is not Baskin-Robbins. There's not 31 flavors and 31 ways that you can have what you want and still make it to heaven. There is an absolute message of salvation. See, the church world has dealt with the problem by saying, we're all going to the same place. Jesus loves everybody. God's got grace. I believe all of it, except we're all going to the same place. I don't believe that. Jesus does love everybody. He loves everybody. Everybody he ever created, he loved. And he provided grace not as a license to sin, but as a safety net if you do. Paul put up with this mentality in in the book of Romans. He said, should I continue in sin because grace abounds? And then he answers his own question. God forbid, because he was dealing with a bunch of people that says, I can live any way I want because God's got grace. I can do whatever I want to do, and God's going to forgive me. That is using grace as a license to sin, and that is abusing the grace of God. Paul said, if I build again the things that I once tore down, then I myself have become a transgressor. You don't look at the grace of God as a license to go talk how you want, act like you want, live like you want, and then think, all i got to do is say, Jesus, forgive me, and everything's fine. That You're missing the whole point of it. And they have built, they have built mega churches off of a Kool-Aid gospel. It's all sweet. There's nothing that could offend anybody. And you can live however you want to live. And, and everything's going to be okay. The problem with this approach is simple. It is wrong. Remember I told you there's wrongs and rights? Okay? There's only one salvation message. There's not various offshoots and offsprings of the salvation message. There is only one Bible way to be saved. Ephesians 4 and 4. There is one body, one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. What matters is not my opinion or your opinion. What matters is the book. If we get out of the book, we are walking in deception. The Bible says that the heart is deceitfully, deceitfully wicked, and who can know it? You can get so deceived, your heart can get so messed up that you don't even realize you're wrong. With all of that in mind, I want us to start with some theological common ground that pretty much all Christian groups share. So first, we believe that all human beings are sinners by birth, by nature, and by deeds. No matter how good we try to be, All have come short of God's standard of perfection that allows us to go to heaven. Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we're at base level that we can all agree that all of humanity, they're sinners. 
Everybody. We are sinners. We are born sinners. We believe that when human beings could do nothing to redeem themselves, God himself provided a way of salvation. And it, the first step is not repentance. The first step is believing on Jesus Christ. And we may be born again and inherit eternal life. See, they have built a gospel off of Romans where it says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And denominations have established that as the plan of salvation. But you missed it. you got to look at Scripture in context. Paul was dealing with a scuffle about who can be saved, Jews or Gentiles, Greeks, etc. And so Paul answered it and said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And so Paul's emphasis was on whosoever. He was trying to establish that salvation was open to all of humanity. But denominations have taken it and said, call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. And thus comes the sinner's prayer and accepting Christ. And they took Scripture out of context, and they missed what Paul was trying to deal with in the book of Romans. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, that's about as much common ground as denominationalism has. And from that concept or that idea that we're all sinners and that Christ is a ransom, this is where we start to deviate. This is where we start to part ways. This is where... Modern Christian groups, you'll start to see some schisms in our thinking, but not many groups preach the Bible way to obey the gospel, just like any other commandment in Scripture. To know it is not enough, and even to believe it is not enough. We must obey God's commandments, okay? So the New Testament Greek word for believe doesn't mean just to mentally acknowledge something. It is a synonym for the word commit, as in believing something so strongly that you do something. So what is the gospel? Well, the Apostle Paul defines it in three parts. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So the gospel in its simplest form, is the death, burial, and resurrection that we have to live by. That's why in the very first church service in church history, after the very first sermon preached by one of the apostles, after the very first time someone ever asked, what shall we do? And at the very first altar call in the church age, Peter said, to obey the gospel by doing three things. Repent, 
Baptism in Jesus' name received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now in study of Scripture, there is a law called the law of first mentioned. And so this is the very first time that we hear someone ask, what shall we do? And it establishes precedent for everything thereafter. So throughout Scripture, following this instance, everything has to tie back to the law of first mentioned in Acts 2 and 38. So why did Peter preach this salvation message? Because it tied back to his original instruction, the very last thing that Jesus told his disciples. He did what he was instructed to do. Luke 24, if you'll put it on the screen. Verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, speaking of Jesus, among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up to heaven. Notice with me, three elements in this text. He said, and that repentance, that's the first step, and remission of sins should be preached in his name. Peter understood what Christ was saying. Because he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's in his name. Why? For the remission of sins. So he said, you got to preach repentance and re preach, pe preach remission of sins, which means tell them how to get their sins remitted. Baptism in the name of Jesus. And then he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father, which we know is the Holy Ghost, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So everything Peter preached was because the instruction he was given as Jesus was fixing to exit this earth is found in Luke 25, 45 through 51. I'm sorry, Luke 24. So Jesus said, I will be crucified. I will be buried, and I will rise again. And because of this, I want you to go out and preach repentance, baptism, remission of sins in my name, and the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is the Father. So the last thing Jesus did was to tell his disciples how to preach the gospel. And Peter preached exactly what Christ told him to preach before he was ascended. So let's look at repentance. Repentance is not just accepting the good news. It's not feeling sorry for your sins. It's being sorry enough to change 
your behavior. What is plaguing too many people in Pentecost is we are driven by our emotions. And if we don't feel a change, then there's no change. We want to feel something. And I had to learn a long time ago that your feelings will lie to you. And if you try to do this based upon feelings alone, you're not going to get very far. That's why we have spiritual roller coasters that people that on, on Sundays, they're way up here. But by Thursday, you got to pull them out of the pit again. It's because they're trying to do this off of feeling and emotions. Let's be honest. How many has ever had times you didn't feel like going to church? You didn't feel like going to prayer. You didn't feel like reading your Bible. You didn't feel like God loved you. You didn't feel like people wanted you around. If we want to talk about feelings, we can go a long time talking about feelings. Repentance is not a feeling. It is a change in direction. That means if I'm walking this way, following the crowd, I've got to start going this way. It is a conscious decision. Repentance can be defined by the three C's, consistent, correct choices. You make consistent, correct choices, and you're going to start walking away from the world. Peter said, save yourself from this untoward generation. I can't pull you. If you don't want to be helped, nobody can help you. Nobody. You know, you hear people talk about we're going to have an intervention. We're going to sit this person down with 30 people, and we're going to blindside them. And we're going to all going to tell them how much the help they need. And everybody could tell that person, you're a no-good scoundrel. You need help. But if that person does not want help and does not want change, you wasted your time. That person has to want to make consistent, correct choices. That's what repentance is. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Repentance is a turning around, and I'm not going to go in that direction anymore. Amen. Repentance is the first step. Second, believing is the first. Repentance is the second. And if you don't repent, you cannot move any further. I used to get so frustrated when I was evangelizing. God had to deal with me because I thought everybody should get the Holy Ghost all the time. I just expect, I'm more shocked when someone doesn't get the Holy Ghost than I am when they do get the Holy Ghost. I just believe everybody is going to get the Holy Ghost. And I'd get, I'd get people that I thought, 
should get the Holy Ghost. You know how we look at people and we judge. You know, I'm, I'm human. Oh, yeah, this is going to be an easy one right here. And you sit there and pray and pray. And you just, hand gets tired. Nothing's happening. And I, I would get so frustrated. And then you'd go up to the one that you thought was going to be the hard one, and you just go, Jesus' name. And they just start talking in tongues. Like, where'd that come from? I thought I was going to have to work on this one for a while. We don't choose who gets the Holy Ghost. God knows what's happening in that person's heart. God knows that there's stuff that they're trying to harbor and they're trying to hold on to and if they're ready for the Holy Ghost or not. So I just said, God, I'm, getting to, I'm, I'm tired of figuring this thing out. I'm just going to pray for everybody. And you feel who you want to feel. Amen? Because you don't know if somebody's repented or not. That's between them and God. Luke 13 and 3 says, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We cannot skip over the importance of repentance. Here's what happens. I've seen this happen over and over and over through the years. Emotions get stirred during a service. I watch people weep during the singing. I've watched not just here, but in traveling. I just I watch people, and you can watch by their body language how they're responding and what they're feeling. And people will make an emotional response to a message. And they'll go to the altar and have a genuine experience with God. But then, once they get home, they start trying to count the cost. I got to give that up. I got to do this. I can't do that. And then they start pulling the reins on what they responded to. Whereas there was a day when someone made a trip to the altar, they had already counted the cost. They already knew in their mind what, it was going, what was going to happen. And they said, even though I'm going to give all this up, I still want Christ more than I want any of that stuff. You get, repentance is not just an emotional response. It's a mental decision that has to be made that I'm going to walk with God. The second part, repent. Baptism. We put on Christ when we are baptized. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we put on Christ when we're baptized, and we're also buried with Christ when we're baptized. Romans 6 and 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This is why it is absolutely crucial to be immersed in water, which is indicative and symbolic of burial, in the name of Jesus Christ who was buried for us. Everything is types and shadows. Everything is symbolic. In fact, if we want to go deeper into it, Every Christian in our Bible was baptized in the name of Jesus. You cannot baptize in a title Father or Son or Holy Ghost because there is no power in the word Father. There is no power in the word Son. 
There is no power in the, in the title Holy Ghost. But when you speak the name of Jesus, all power, he said, in heaven and earth is given unto me. And so that name literally seals your past with the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'll cast all of your sin and iniquity as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. It happened in Acts 8.16 when the Samaritan believers were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It happened in Acts 10.48 when the household of Cornelius was baptized in the name of the Lord. It happened in Acts 19 and 5 when the disciples of John were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 and 19, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So John 5, 43 says, I am come in my Father's name. It establishes the name of the Father as Jesus. Matthew 1, 21, thou shalt call his name Jesus. So the Son's name is Jesus. John 14, 26, the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. So the name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. So the disciples understood that the name he's talking about is not Father or Son or Holy Ghost, but rather he's speaking of himself, the name of Jesus Christ. Now you got to keep in mind that Matthew did not write his gospel until A.D. 62. So he was making a theological statement about the oneness of God that had already been confirmed by 30 years of the church baptizing every convert in the name of Jesus Christ. Baptism in the name of Jesus is absolutely essential for salvation. John 20, 23 says, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Let me break this verse down for you. The church does not have power to forgive sins. Only Jesus does. So what does it mean? It means whoever we baptize in the name of Jesus has their sins remitted are washed away, and whoever we don't baptize still has sins. Now, here's what we've heard through the years, that all you've got to do is ask for forgiveness, and God will forgive you of all of your sins. While that statement is true, it is not totally true. God may forgive you of those sins, but they're not remitted. The only way that your past can get remitted is you have to finish the process of baptism in Jesus' name, which is for the remission of sins. That's the only way the blood is applied. And thereafter, once you start walking in newness of life, yes, when you ask for forgiveness, God forgives you of those sins. But your past cannot be totally dealt with until you are buried in the name of Jesus Christ. You believe that? Clap your hands unto the Lord. Hallelujah. So now we talk about the Holy Ghost, and I'm 
hurrying to a close. Acts 1 and 8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. 1 Corinthians 6, 14, and God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. The new birth experience is designed to let your old life die. That's repentance. Be buried. That's baptism. And to give you a literal new life by the power of the Holy Ghost. So the point of the resurrection is not just that Jesus got up from the grave, but that I can get up out of my deadness of my old life. So everything has a parallel. Jesus' being put to death was an act of men. Jesus' burial was an act of men. But Jesus' resurrection was an act of God. Repentance is my action in response to the gospel. Baptism is my action in response to the gospel. But the Holy Ghost is God's action in response to in my response to obedience. See, he rose from the grave in a glorified body. He didn't need the stone rolled away to get out of the tomb. You ever think about that? Jesus didn't have to have the stone rolled away. He got got up anyway. He was God. But there had to be an outward evidence that there was a new man. There had to be an outward sign of a resurrection. What do you think tongues is? Tongues is to our new birth what the stone was to his new birth. It's an outward sign that there has been a transition in the spirit. That's why scripture says that tongues is not for the believer, but for the unbeliever. As a sign that something has happened in a person's life. We can get a wicked we can go around here, we can all jibber jabber all day long and does nothing. Paul was dealing with this in the Corinthian church. Because every time they went to church, it was just chaos. Everybody, yeah, da, 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 da. everybody's just talking in tongues. And so Paul was trying to establish and give some instruction and some order and said, okay. I talk in tongues more than all of y'all. I got all y'all beat. But I'm going to go do it in private between me and God. Now, if y'all want to talk in tongues and everybody, everybody want to give a tongues, then let it be two or three at the most and let it be by course. In other words, let it be done in order. And then let there be a time for interpretation. If there's no interpretation, that's fine. But don't just keep on rambling. I've been in services and I was evangelizing. Everybody and their brother had tongues. You'd put your head down, and somebody give it tongues. Nope, put another down, and it was just like a marathon. And I'm sitting here going, what are we doing? We're not being biblical here. But I wasn't the pastor. I wasn't the one in charge. I was just over there to the side, minding my own business, getting ticked off because we weren't being biblical. Amen. That one slipped. Some, some people say that you can receive God's Spirit. 
without speaking in tongues. But that's not biblical. That's not in the Bible. Okay? Every Christian in your Bible spoke in tongues. Let's read Acts 10, 44. This is the first time any Gentile, which we need to pay attention to the Gentiles because that's us. This is when they received the Holy Ghost. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. They of the circumcision which believed were astonished. That's talking about the Jews. As many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water? that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Romans 8 and 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. There has got to be a way that we know someone received the Holy Ghost. I've asked people before, how do you know that you have Christ in you? And they say, well, I act different. That just means you made up your mind to do something different. That doesn't mean God's in you. I know a man that he was fixing to have heart surgery, and they told him he couldn't smoke no more. He stood outside the hospital, and he smoked that cigarette until he couldn't even have anything to hold anymore. And he put that little bit out, and that was the last cigarette he ever touched, and he had smoked all of his life. But he made up his mind. That doesn't mean he had the Holy Ghost. That doesn't mean Christ was in him. There has to be an evidence. Baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues is the original experience of the New Testament church. And that is our pattern. Not church history, not denominations, but the Bible is what we have to govern ourselves by. If we're going to be judged by the Word, which we are, we have to live by the word. And that pertains to all manners of righteousness. That pertains to all manners of salvation. This is the beginning of salvation. It's not the end of it. That's, this is just, think about when a child is born. They're born as babies. And you don't, as parents, once a mother carries that baby, for nine months, and after the baby's born, you don't give it to the nurse and say, okay, I'm done, and just leave. That's crazy. The new birth is the beginning of life, not the end of life. And so it is when you get the Holy Ghost, that is the beginning of your life. And you have to grow. The Bible says grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the beginning point. But so many people look at that as the highlight of their life. And it should be noted as a highlight. But that is not the highest point. You should grow from that point as a babe in Christ. References to the plan of salvation can be found everywhere in the Bible, such as John 1. 12 and 13, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Notice the three parts. First, we must receive the Lord into our lives, which is repentance. Second, we must believe in such a way 
that invokes the name of Christ over our lives, which is baptism. And third, we must allow God to give us the power to change, which is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost does not make us perfect. I've met people in the past that couldn't understand how they still struggled and how they still quarreled after the Holy Ghost. It's like in their mind they thought that this was going to be the fix, that this is going to put my marriage back together, and this is going to make me stop sinning, and this is going to do this, and they become disillusioned because they thought the Holy Ghost was just the magic fix. Okay, If you got two strong personalities living in a home with each other, even with the Holy Ghost, there's still going to be fights. That's just people, okay? There's going to be disagreements. Doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make all people cookie-cutter Christians, and everybody grows wings and we just play the harp. That's not reality, okay? That's not reality. The Holy Ghost gives you power to rise above your wrongdoings. The new birth salvation message is one of the landmarks of the apostolic church. We say that we love this truth, but have you ever stopped to consider that we're responsible for this truth? Because Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8 that the whole reason that you're going to get the promise is so it makes you a witness of who he is and what he can do. Stand with me now as we come to a close. Scripture says this, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Everybody in this room right now, you know what God can do. You understand forgiveness of sins and baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You understand what it talks about, that He is our healer, He is our refuge, and He is our strength. So everything that I'm saying, you already know. But if it's hid... It's here to them that are lost, to the people that don't know, to, pe to the people that have never experienced this precious truth. And so the whole reason God fills us with his spirit is not for us to say, I got my card stamped, I'm going to heaven. This ain't once saved, always saved. This is not the doctrine of eternal security. Every day Paul said, I've got to die out. Every day you got to put nails in the coffin of that old man. Because let me tell you, you go a week without praying, ping, them nails coming out that coffin. That old man's climbing out. Tell me I'm lying. I know I'm telling you the truth because I know what I'm like if I don't pray. I know what I'm like. You don't want to be around me. Most of you only see me on Sundays and Wednesdays. You see me at my best, but I'm a real person. I have real struggles, just like everybody in here. And the only way you keep that man crucified is you got to pray. You got to pray. So the responsibility is not just coming to church, paying our tithes or giving the offering and being faithful in attendance. That's not, that's just half of it. There's a responsibility to let other people know about this precious truth that you and I have experienced. 
Amen. Salvation. There's only one way to be saved. Only one way. If you don't believe it, we might as well shut them doors right now and stop preaching this message. If there's other ways to be saved, then I've been lying to people for years. There's only one way to be saved. Repent. Be baptized in Jesus' name and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost that is the promise of the Father.